Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, again, good Thursday morning. Paul filling in for Carmen here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Uh, let's watch out for each other. Kind of thinking, looking at weather now, if you're in the upper Midwest, especially Minnesota and Wisconsin, as many of our listeners are, air quality alerts for both states, the entire state under that because of the smoke from the Canadian wildfires blowing into the upper Midwest. For the Twin Cities, for example, it was bad last night. Uh, They had heat, uh, rather... uh, Indexes, you know, the air quality index was over 200 on that 500 scale. And for the Twin Cities today, they're expecting uh, to pretty much be the same in the unhealthy or red category. This leads to this has led to many outdoor activities being canceled. Um, And for those who have respiratory issues, this can be a very difficult time. So please be in prayer. Also. Hundreds of thousands are without power after severe storms slammed the southeast. High winds in excess of 80 miles an hour were reported yesterday throughout the southeast and the Gulf Coast, along with tornadoes and baseball-sized hail. So again, these are opportunities here as as believers to just be great neighbors, to show the love of Jesus, checking in on the neighbors in need, especially if you have a neighbor, for example, in the upper Midwest who has respiratory issues, making sure they're they're taken care of and doing okay for those in the southeast. If somebody is without power, doing what you can to help them out. Again, showing that love. Also, a couple of interesting news items on the immigration front. At least 78 immigrants en route to Italy from uh, Libya drowned yesterday after their boat capsized off off the southwest coast of Greece, making it the deadliest such event in Greek waters this year. Over 100 immigrants were rescued, although authorities say they expect the death toll to rise. And there's been an increase of people going across the Mediterranean in search of freedom from difficult situations in Africa. Meanwhile, down in Texas... Uh, Texas has sent more immigrants to Los Angeles. Governor Greg Abbott tweeted on uh, yesterday that more than 40 immigrants were put on a bus for the city of Los Angeles. Abbott claims the small Texas border towns were being overrun and overwhelmed with immigrants and called their removal a much-needed relief in that community. We've talked many times here on Mornings with Carmen with Matt Sorens from World Relief and the Evangelical Immigration Table about immigration and refugee situations globally. And he and his team have been long calling for, for us here, especially in the U.S., to have a more holistic uh, vision for our border security as well as immigration policy that, yes, maintains strong borders, but also is understanding and is charitable to those Fleeing very difficult situations. So again, looking at this, the call is there. One more uh, note, because we talked about that uh, this earlier this week. Closing arguments are set for today in the Pittsburgh Tree of Life synagogue shooting trial. The trial is to determine if Robert Bowers should receive the death penalty for the 2018 massacre that left 11 people dead at the Tree of Life synagogue in the Pittsburgh area. Prosecutors have called... Uh, law enforcement officials to testify 
including one who testified that Bauer said all Jews had to die. Yeah, again, pray for that situation there and for that community because trials like this just flare up a lot, a lot of angst. So, again, pray the news. Well, Father's Day weekend is coming up, and if you were with us yesterday, we talked with, among others, Eric Swithin of the Alliance for the Ending of the Fatherless Epidemic. Parents, both parents are so important in the lives of children. And when families are broken, how can we as God's people be redemptive, especially in the lives of children? Herbie Newell from Lifeline Children's Services will be joining us next. This is Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen, just without Carmen again today. I'm Paul filling in, and okay, it's been almost a year. Last June, the decision came down from the U.S. Supreme Court that overturned Roe v. Wade, ending the federal ruling making abortion on demand all nine, all nine months of pregnancy the law. Now states are allowed to put in restrictions, and many have. Meanwhile, there's just yesterday was released a Gallup poll looking at abortion and at Americans' views, and there's a record number of people, 69%, who feel, okay, first trimester abortion should be legal, second and third trimester, well, 37%, 22% respectively. There's been more acceptance in the last year when it comes to the issue of abortion, and a lot of that deals with, you know, from a pro-life standpoint, okay, we may have a legal victory, but hearts need to be changed. And how... The ministry toward those who are going through crisis pregnancies need to, well, they've actually been there for a long time. And we want to talk to Herbie Newell about that right now. Herbie is the uh, executive director and president of Lifeline Children's Services. Herbie, thanks for joining us again here on Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, Paul, thanks for thanks for having us and thanks for broaching this, uh, this important topic at this anniversary of the Dobbs case. Yeah, it is important. And, okay, among the services that that uh, Lifeline Children's Services does is adoption help and such. Before we get to that, though, you had a great piece, um, an editorial you did, talking about, okay, it's not just enough to be anti-abortion. And we don't end when the mother chooses life. It, it's got to be a little more holistic. Tell us about what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, one of the things as we look at this anniversary of the Dobbs case and the overturning of Roe v. Wade that we have to really look at very seriously as pro-life America and people who want to defend life and ultimately want to see a nation, a culture, and a world where life is affirmed from the moment of conception, then we've also got to start really making sure that we're leaning in, not just to see these children be born, but also to see the moms, the families, and the children flourish. And and that's really what we as God's people, especially, but also as pro-life people, uh, come alongside of women and children to help help see them reach their potential, to help see stronger relationships and stronger families. We want to see children in safe places. We want to see them thriving uh, in life. And so I think 
you know, that's part of the way that we win the heart of the culture is by showing that not only do we want lives to be born and we desperately defend lives in the womb, but we also want to be there for intervention services. We want to be on the other side of the postpartum ward with open arms, waiting for that mom and that child to help them be whole, to, to have fullness, uh, to be able to, to thrive and survive in this world, mom and her baby. And so I think when we start to do that, we start to also win the hearts and the minds of of the population that has 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 really begun to see life as as a choice as opposed to responsibility. So, how do you see those in the pro life movement trying to really envision and live out that complete holistic vision? I I was I don't know why I got into football thinking about this because okay, a defensive player, his goal is to get the ball, but a really good defensive player not only thinks about okay, I got to get the ball from the offense if I get it and I have the opportunity. I'm running it to the the opposite end of the field. I want to score. I mean, we, we want to have that full vision of, and that vision has to do with human flourishing, human life, and preserving that. So, how do you see some of the ministries and partners you have, including yourself? I mean, what are some of the things you're doing to help out moms who are in those uh, difficult situations? Yes. Well, I would just encourage all of your listeners. You know run to your local pregnancy center. This is not a time for us to abandon our pregnancy centers, but to pour into our pregnancy centers to make sure that that we're there. The pregnancy centers are doing such a great job uh, supporting moms, but also resourcing moms, giving them the tools that they need to be successful, uh, helping them with parenting classes, helping them think through what their options are uh, as a mom, uh, helping even look at what, what, what are the structures in their family that are there. You know, there's so many that are are looking to alter policy in favor of of vulnerable women and and in favor of vulnerable children and looking for better policy for adoption and and better policy for moms who might not be able to make it to make a a decision for adoption or to make a decision for uh, a temporary care or temporary aid. Uh, There's so many that are are fostering children. I mean, that's one of the things that I think is pro-life America we definitely have to look at is every child in foster care right now in the United States of America, their moms chose life. And so we need to come alongside of those kids that have been taken out of their biological homes and are in foster care. And we need to wrap around them with support and we need to help them. And then ultimately, I hope, and and this is certainly part of what Lifeline does, we need to raise up a generation that's ready to adopt, that's ready to not just bring a child into their home to raise, you know, uh, in their home, but also of of families that are going to wrap around these moms, they're going to stay in communication with these moms, and going to show the dignity and worth of the moms that that chose life. And so these are things that I see that that are already happening. And and we need to to come together as pro-life America. And and to use your example, you know, when the defensive player gets it and he's running towards the end zone, the rest of the defense usually tries to come around their player Mm -hmm. to block off any opposition. And so we need to come together and we need to make sure that we are advancing this ball to ultimately show the culture. We're pro-life, we're pro-child, we're pro-woman, and we're Mm pro-family. Again, we're talking with Herbie Newell, President and Executive Director of Lifeline Children's Services. Let's spend the next segment here after a break looking at at some of the different aspects of what you with Lifeline Children's Services do as we're heading to Father's Day weekend. I mean, this is this is going to take dad's involvement too, to be honest. We're talking about the women's aspect and we talk about moms. Hey, we need dads who are going to step up with the with pot- potential moms or well, with with moms, especially in the area of adoption because we want that holistic 
effect, uh, that holistic uh, care there. So we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in here on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Being there, standing up for the lives of children, including those in the foster care system or those needing adoption. Lifeline Children's Services is there to help on that area. We have Herbie Newell right now, President and Executive Director of Lifeline Children's Services. And Herbie, now, you actually, you became a foster dad some time ago. You've done that a few times, right? That's correct. Was that first your idea or your wife's? Well, you know, I think um, it was kind of both of our ideas to be open to whatever the Lord may have. And Certainly, you know, I travel a good bit uh, speaking on behalf of the organization, traveling for the organization. Yeah, but but we really also wanted to to do something at home and to be available for children in need. So you were really living it out. Can, okay, just take a few moments. I mean, tell us about your experience being a foster dad. Yeah, I, I you know, I think it's it's difficult for sure. Um, you know, there you 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 want to love a child and this is what any foster parent goes through. You want to love that child and and help them feel full acceptance while also realizing that the goal is not necessarily even to bring that child in for adoption. The goal is reunification with a family. And so, you know, you're you're loving a child, you're you're trying to love on a parent who may have been neglectful or may have even hurt that child in some way. And so you're you're protecting the child but yet you're also advocating for a mom and wanting to come alongside of a mom or a dad to help them get their their lives back on track to to bring their kids in their home. And so there's just a flurry of emotions and uh it's it's difficult for sure because there's constant visits from um there's constant visits from, you know, CPS and from others and, and your home almost becomes, you know, a bit of a fishbowl, but <laughs> ultimately through all the hurt and through all the pain and maybe through all the complications of that, it's a beautiful story of reconciliation and redemption that, that we, as God's people put our lives on the line. Um, you know, we, we maybe get out of our comfort zone ultimately to wrap around and care for a child in need to show them the stability that comes from a family. And, and ultimately our, our prayer is to show the child the the ideal family situation, which is a mom and a dad committed together, loving together and loving their children and pointing their children to the gospel of Christ Jesus. Wow. That is just the ministry aspect. And okay. You said it's not easy. Uh, but it's, is it like they used to say about uh, joining the army, uh, the hardest job you'll ever love or something like that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely a job that when people get into it, they love it. Um, I think because you definitely see a lot of times the, the fruit of it, um, you see the changes in a child, you 
you see uh, potentially even the changes in the family. You know, the system is uh, is difficult. It is hard. Um, and, and certainly there are a lot of foster parents that get burned out. You know, for my wife and I, what we realized is I couldn't travel the way I did and be present to help her as much as we did. And so we we haven't been able to foster in a while because of the reality of how much I travel. And there, I think that's for the rest of us that maybe aren't called to be foster parents. We can support those foster parents knowing that while they love it, it's also very taxing. It's taxing spiritually and emotionally and physically and mentally. And so anything that we can do to wrap around mm. those foster families to help hold up their arms, to help them be able to do this for the long term. Okay, again, we're talking with Herbie Newell from Lifeline Children's Services. I, I, you know, when you mentioned you were a foster parent, I thought I wanted to dig into that because a lot of people go, I don't know if I can do that. Uh, it can be done. And again, where the, as you just mentioned there, if the church can wrap around you in the process, it also is that extra, extra care. But let's talk about adoption right now because as, as we look again at Father's Day, and we had Mother's Day last month. For those who may not be able to have children of their own or just have that heart, I mean, okay, there's different ways of doing, you know, different types of adoption that that you guys handle, domestic, international, even the foster care adoption. Where do you want to pull the string first on those topics? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things we really need to look at, especially as we were talking about the anniversary of Roe, is just to be ready and available to adopt children uh, that that for women who choose life. And we need more families, not just that are dedicated again to bringing a child in their home, but are also dedicated to loving on a mom. And, you know, I, one of the, the, the great things that I get to see on a regular basis is to see these families who have long have a longing for a child. Some of them have experienced infertility. Many are doing it because of a sense of ministry. Uh, to a child, but to see them love on these women and show dignity and worth to the moms, to the birth mothers, and, and to show that that they believe and know that they are a person made in the image of God who's cared about and special, that has been just a, a huge outflow from an adoption ministry. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, you know, certainly in COVID slowed down intercountry adoption, but we still need families that are willing to go and and to bring children home uh, from uh, from other different nations where they aren't aren't flourishing and they need an opportunity. And, you know, Paul, one of the things I just want to plant a picture is we have a lot of kids with with special medical needs that are living abroad and Mm -hmm. can't get the medical care they need. And they don't have a family to get it for them uh, in through intercountry adoption. And we need families who say, you know what, I could do that for a child. I can be a safe place for a child through adoption. Mm, That's that's another broad vision there, a beautiful vision. Now, if people wanted to, uh, how how do they work through, uh, through, through, uh, Lifeline Children's Services, if they're looking at whatever form of adoption, foster care, domestic or international, I mean, what's the process for them? Yeah, so the process starts, you know, really with an intake. So you're going to come in and and really try to figure out, you know, what's best for your family, what's best for uh, what which program fits what you're looking for. Uh, we're we're obviously going to ask you to commit that to to prayer and, and to really make sure that you're open to where the Lord's leading you, whether that's intercountry adoption, foster care, foster to adopt, or domestic adoption. 
the first process is a home study. Uh, and, and that's just a, a study that's making sure that you can provide a safe, healthy place uh, for that child. Uh, a part of that home study is also going to be training. You know, one of the things that we want to realize is that any child that comes home through adoption has experienced some level of trauma. And even a, a child that's born uh, at the hospital and you adopt straight from the hospital, that child has had a, still a sense of trauma uh, because, uh, you know, if we truly believe that that life begins at conception, then we realize that a child in a mom's womb and a mom that's going through hardships and pain and trouble, that child's going to experience that pain and that hardship and the trouble. So we want to train and equip families to not only bring a child in, but to be able to flourish and to thrive in their home. And so that's part of that home study process of training, but also getting the necessary documents to, to show that there is a safe place. Huh. That's a really good point. I mean, I never thought of that, but even a child that you're adopting right from the hospital, we, we don't think about the trauma that has been part of that family's life, and that, that does af- affect the child, too, even in utero. So, uh, great thought there. Now, people wanted to get a hold of, of Lifeline Children's Services. What's the best place for them to go? So anyone can always go to our website at lifelinechild.org. And again, that's lifelinechild.org. And on social media, uh, our handle on all of the major platforms is at Lifeline Child. So if you remember Lifeline Child, either .org or at Lifeline Child, you can get us on social media or the web. All right. Hey, Herbie, thanks again. I know you guys join us monthly here to, again, paint this vision of areas such as adoption and foster care and, and, and so much more. So we really do appreciate what you guys are doing. Thanks for joining us here on Faith Radio. Thanks for having us, Paul. All right. Breakpoint is next here on Faith Radio. Paul filling in for Carmen on this Thursday morning. Ah, a little big band music. I like that. Thanks, Ryan. I like that. Hey, I'm Paul filling in for Carmen on Faith Radio. Okay, question. What does the Bible say about forgiveness? Quite a lot, actually. But it's not easy, is it? Especially when you've been deeply hurt. But as we as we talked earlier this week um, with John Plake from the American Bible Society, when they're looking at human flourishing, forgiveness is such an important part, and the Bible helps out in so many ways. And we want to help you out in so many ways. So tell you what, if that's a struggle for you, if you're looking to find healing and peace from unforgiveness— Go to MyFaithRadio.com. This is our forgiveness month here at Faith Radio. And we have great podcasts to help you, articles, videos, and more. Again, check it out. And plus, join us on Wednesday, June 28th for a special Day of Forgiveness here on Faith Radio. Again, I'm Paul filling in this weekend, getting ready to celebrate Father's Day. Yes, that's important, but also... This weekend, for many Americans, especially those who were descendants of slaves, they're celebrating Juneteenth. It's a federal holiday on Monday. While our nation has come a long way since slavery and Jim Crow, there's still a lot more that needs to be done. Have we really become one people? Especially when it comes to our churches, have we become one? There's a new movie coming out this coming Tuesday, the day after Juneteenth, that I hope will spark some important conversations. We're going to talk with uh, Craig Brown and Andrea Summer shortly about that movie. It's called Between Mercy and Me. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio.
This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in again this morning. Carmen will be back in on Monday. 2 Corinthians 13.11 calls for us to strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the Lord of peace and love will be with you. Harmony. It's what we're called to. Do we have it? There's a line from a new movie that says, If our town were a song, what would it sound like? Now, living here in the Twin Cities area, after what happened three years ago with George Floyd, there's a lot of disharmony. The line I just quoted, if our song, our town were a song, what would we sound like, is from a new movie called Between Mercy and Me. It's a Fathom event coming out this Tuesday, the day after Juneteenth. And joining me now is the director, Craig Brown, and Andrea Summer, who is the right. If I remember right, Andrea, you're the writer of this movie as well as you get to play the character of Mercy in it, right? Uh, Craig, Craig invited me to co-write it with him. So oh, so you both co-wrote it. Okay. Yeah. So he's writer director. Yeah. Um, I helped write, um, and, uh, oversaw the soundtrack and got to be in it as well. Yeah. Listen to some of the music from the soundtrack. Very good. Thank you so much. Okay. Well then thank you two for joining us, Andrea and Craig. Let me start out by asking because you two poured your heart into the story. Why this story? Andrea, maybe you want to start with that. Um, well, <clears throat> Craig, why don't you talk about the, the, what sparked it and then, uh, yeah. we'll go from there. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, like, like you mentioned, uh, in the you know, midst of, uh, 2020 and the height of COVID and George Floyd, uh, I can see that there was like a big disconnect, um, specifically within the church on how to have healthy and productive conversations about race. Uh, I mean, if, if you're on social media at that time, you could see just how, you know, much rage, uh, that there was, uh, or on both sides, whether you're, uh, what was it? It, it left versus right, white versus black. Uh, it was just a lot of, uh, tension and, and hate. Um, and yeah, seeing that I realized like, man, like we just need to learn how to actually listen to one another and have, you know, conversations that actually get us to uh, better places. So uh, I thought the best way to tackle that was through um, a love story um, that was, um, you know, fueled with a lot of music. Uh, music is, you know, something that, uh, you know, bridges the gap between uh, man and God, but also uh, through people as well. And I thought that was going to be the best uh, avenue um, to create this story. And yeah, so that's, that's what inspired uh, Between Mercy and Me. Okay, and then Andrea, again, you joined in on this project, uh, not just with the music, but in, in co-writing it. Tell us your side of the story, what you were hoping in being part of this process. Yeah, well, hearing Craig's um, you know, heart behind it and the kind of story he wanted to create, um, I'm a singer-songwriter, so I knew that I could bring um, a similar story through music. Like, I could tell the same story through music because the two main characters are musicians. They're worship leaders. So to be able to take one um, black person who has his own background, his own musical influences, his own experiences, and then a, you know, a white woman who has her own, her own experiences, her own, um, 
musical influences and then just as they are coming together throughout the film so does their music so to just parallel and um, elevate the story that Craig wanted to tell um, I just got to help with dialogue and you know of course working on the script helped fuel lyrics for the songs and helping create the moments that he wanted to create Uh, it was just um, you know and, and all that stuff really came out of conversations that we were having behind the scenes as a team and um, as friends and uh, much of the conversations, you know, made it into the script. So uh, Mm. it really, it really was, um, you know, just a, a passion project that has made its way into theaters for a night. Okay. And again, that's coming up on Tuesday. Uh, it's a Fathom event. Check out Fathom events or check out your theater for Between Mercy and Me. Now, at, again, there's some lines from that movie that just jumped out at me. Another one that that is in there is, some churches want our culture, but not our people. Other churches want our people, but not our culture. Now, I'm not sure who wants to jump on this one, but can one of you break down stereotypes in the evangelical church, how you see this film encouraging some honest conversations about these divisions we have within our churches and, and also some of the stereotypes we, we kind of carry with each other? Well, that line yeah. is a perfect example of conversations behind the scenes coming into the script. Um, David Driscoll, who plays the lead character, Hugo, uh, him and I would just get together to work on the songs. But, you know, a lot of times we were just having conversations and that was something he said uh, to me that just shook me (laughs) to my core because we have we go to the same church and we um, and I knew when he said that, that that was something he just rolled off his tongue. So it was something so familiar to him and kind Mm. of so foreign to me. But I knew like this is the tip of the iceberg, you know, and it just reminded me like as much as I might think that my church is inclusive or diverse, um, he's still having a different experience than me. And so in bringing that conversation to Craig, um, you know, we ended up putting it in the script. Craig, do you want to talk about, you know, Sunday mornings? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that. yeah, that line is. It's heavy, um, and yeah, ma- made it in the trailer, and yeah, and a, yeah, just like Andrea said, like uh, through the perspective of Black people within the church, uh, sometimes that can be difficult, um, especially when churches are right around the corner of each other. You have one Black church, like one street over, then you have a predominantly white church on another street, and uh, um, that's just clear division there because I mean we're all within the same radius yet uh the churches are divided and some of that is because of culture whether it's uh you know um the music style music choice and taste um which is a big influence but also uh you know from the actual leaders in the church and um and that line in the movie uh i I think it has a lot of truth to it and you know sunday as, it, as Dr. Martin Luther King said, you know, Sunday is the most divided um, you know, hour um, in America. Like, and that is so true. Um, and that's also not okay. <laughs> and that's no. something that uh, I hope that, the, um, and, and that was part of making this movie. It's like, we really need to understand like that 
this wasn't God's intention of what church looks like, even though it's comfortable. It's really comfortable to go to a church where everyone looks like you, talks like you, dresses like you, have your same have the same political uh, views as you. However, um, that isn't unity. And unity is locking arms with people of all races and backgrounds. So, um, yeah, with that line in the movie, um, uh, it's, it's kind of a call out to pastors everywhere, whether black or white. Like, this is something that we really need to um, get a little more serious about uh, because we're supposed to be uh, examples of what uh, love and unity looks like. You know, it is interesting as you're talking about that. A lot of the divisions, <laughs> believe it or not, are not theological. I, I've seen some studies where it looks at the general evangelical theological constructs and also those of uh, black Protestant. They're not that different. They're pretty straightforward the same. I <laughs> exactly. Mean, the, 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 our, our practice, the way we do things may be different. It's like, okay, can't we, yeah. find, a, can't we find a fusion that imbibes all of us? That imbibes all of us. Anyway, we're, we're talking with with Andrea. Oh, I forgot. Andrea Summer and Craig Brown. Uh, Craig is the director and co writer with Andrea, and Andrea is one of the actors in the movie Between Mercy and Me, which comes out on Tuesday. It's a Fathom event, and uh, again, check out the Fathom website for information. Maybe get tickets and start the con- conversation with some friends around this. We're going to continue our conversation here about the movie in just a moment here on Faith Radio. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go download the free faith radio app at your app store today the message of christ is reconciliation how about this line god hardwired us for unity a couple of lines from the new movie between mercy and me and joining me now here on faith radio craig brown and andrea summers as we continue our conversation about this new movie coming out on tuesday the day after juneteenth and andrea and craig okay getting to know your film and i saw an interview with david driscoll who plays andrea's mercy and the friend is david driscoll or hugo is actually his character name and david said when he was acting out the part of hugo he actually was acting out his own lived experiencing experiences, that is. And knowing that, this is really a call for us to lean in and listen. So talk to us about the importance of listening to each other's stories, because that's what's played out in this movie that you guys have written and produced. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so, I mean, a, a lot of the writing was inspired to invoke uh empathy uh or so sorry that was the, the goal is to uh encourage empathy because i think a, a lot of times uh, when it comes to conversations around the race uh whether you're black or white you just don't know the other person's background for instance for a person who's white um they could have grown up with uh parents or grandparents who um may had some you know, hateful things to say about black people, or was it just let's just call them slightly racist? Um, and if you're uh, black, uh, you just may grow up in a house over you're just where you're to believe that all white people are are evil. So, or um, yeah, so it just like so to encourage empathy uh, was was the goal of the movie and. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's the the one thing that 
we really need to uh, focus on when having conversations because it's really hard to understand um, or gain empathy if you don't listen. And that's where Hugo's character comes in. Like, I, I wanted people to understand what it was like being um, a black male in the inner city who loves his community, who does all the things right, yet he still has to deal with uh, microaggressions around racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and a lot of the conversation around, uh, Hugo, uh, specifically was like, just listen, listen, <laughs> and uh, you, you'll get a lot more of that in the movie. I don't want to give out any spoilers, yeah. but yes, like the, uh, the, the movie definitely encourages uh, both sides. Uh, just like we need, you need to listen in order to have, uh, healthier conversations. Okay, that that's an that's an interesting thing you just said there. We need to listen both sides. So Andrea, as the as Mercy, and whereas Hugo is African American, you are European American. You're white. Tell us about how your lived experiences and your thoughts play into how the story goes. I'm very white. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> I've seen your picture. Um, yes, blonde hair. You I'm name very it. White. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think what Mercy, what I, I brought to Mercy was um, just the naivete, like just being naive um, to other people's experiences outside of hers, but with the best of intentions. You know, it's like I I grew up in a predominantly white town. I remember I remember there were probably two people of color in my school from kindergarten to 12th grade. I remember if I saw a person of color in my neighborhood, I, I assumed they were like passing through, you know, like they're walking from one side of the town to the other. Um, I just wasn't around a lot of diversity and that doesn't make me a bad person. That just, but that built in um, just a lot of naiveness, you know, around what other people's experiences are like. And I can have, personally, I can have the best of intentions. I can want all the unity in the world. I can care and love deeply for other people and still uh, not be having the impact that I want to have simply because I'm unaware of what's informing my actions, what's informing my beliefs, what's informing my decisions. And so Mercy really has the best of intentions, but just because she has good intentions doesn't mean she's doing it right. Mm-hmm. And and also doing it right isn't possible, and it's not even necessarily important. But what Mercy does is she she fumbles her way in, in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So... So the fact that she's just simply willing to show up to uncomfortable conversations and uncomfortable places and let someone of color speak into the um, perspectives that she doesn't realize she has or the biases she doesn't realize she has to let someone else reveal those to her um, and be humble enough to take a good look at them, uh, you know, helps her align her good intentions with um, good actions. And uh, as I can relate to a lot of that. I mean, when Craig and I sat down to talk um, about co-writing the script from the beginning, you know, I told him I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about what you might learn about me or what you might see in me that I don't see in myself. 
And I just got to be transparent about that right now, or I'm going to not bring my full self to the table simply out of shame. And I think for a lot of white people, that is um, what holds them back is just a sense of unknown and a sense of shame that if they engage and they do it wrong, then that's going to be bad. But reality is just showing up is a step in the right direction. Okay, we only have a few more uh, moments here. We're talking with Craig Brown as well as uh, Andrea Summer from the movie um, Between Mercy and Me. Now, Craig, after you, just this conversation you two were having in the producing of this film, when, when Andrea said all that, what did you feel and what did you think? How did you respond? Uh, my response was, Oh, girl, you got it. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, that was, was a response, uh, <laughs> but what's going on in your head and your heart? Yeah, actually, um, I can understand um, why she would say all of those things. It makes sense. She was being uh, vulnerable and like, hey, I've never traveled with this road of being black. I've never had, you know, conversations this intentional. Um, and what I, th- I thought that was um, one very... Uh, humble uh, to announce that um, it, it also just created a lot of space for us to really get down to work and uh, making the story great. Um, so, yeah, just so as she, you know, um, you know, l- laid out her heart of like, hey, here's where I am. Like, it, yeah, it it definitely I uh, hope uh, push the story forward and uh, I'm, I'm glad for it. Mm. Okay, one more question, and we have just like two minutes here. And talk about, as we talk about dealing with racial justice and faith, how do we incorporate faith into this conversation well? Yeah, two minutes. Good luck on that, but I'm going to see if you guys can do it. (laughs) Yeah, uh, literally leaning in and asking God for help in areas of weakness. Uh, I think that's the best thing that uh, we can do as believers is just one, ask God, uh, the Holy Spirit, we, we have access to that, right? Um, also, uh, just remembering um, God's command of loving him wholeheartedly, loving him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor. Um, he called that out as a second command, like, love your neighbor. Um, and that's our, our neighbors are people who don't look like us, are are people who come from different backgrounds. So taking that command into consideration, um, I think will definitely help bring our faith into these conversations. Because I, I I feel like that's the, one of the most important things when having such emotionally heavy conversations around race, where we don't have all the words and that's okay. That's okay. And we have grace. And that's a good thing about um, being in the kingdom, like we have, you know, unlimited access to grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I would, I would say that. Oops, Greg. <laughs> do you know? What, <laughs> do you know what he might have said there, Andrea? <laughs> no, I think he was finished. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on Faith Radio again. Uh, the movie is Between Mercy and Me. It's a Fathom event this uh, this Tuesday. I assume at some point it will be streaming as well, because I don't know if I can get to the theater this th- uh, this Tuesday. Yes, yes, we'll definitely be streaming at some point. We don't know yet, but yeah. Sounds we'll be good. able to watch it or some device at some point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs>
Well, Andrea, Craig, thank you for joining us here this morning on Faith Radio. Blessing to have you. It was great. Thank you so much. Bye. Again, this is Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening. You know, as we talk about going through all the racial stuff and finding forgiveness especially, I, I believe we have up on our website at MyFaithRadio.com an interview we did last year with one of the people. His mom was killed in the shooting at uh, the Mother Emanuel Church, and yet he has been proclaiming forgiveness. I can't remember. Trying to remember his name. I'm having a mental blank all of a sudden, but... Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot here, Paul. <laughs> I, I, I could I, have I, it in 10 seconds, but we only have 10 yeah. seconds. <laughs> okay, well, you can find it at MyFaithRadio.com. It was one of the Mornings with Carmen podcast. But anyway, thanks again for listening to Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.